from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Marketing Matters on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Marketing Matters here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm Barbara Kahn, the Patty and J.H. Baker Professor of Marketing, and I'm joined by my co-host, Americus Reed, the Whitney M. Young Jr. Professor of Marketing and the Brand Identity Theorist. Hello, Americus. Hi, Barbara. So do you own any crypto? No. No. Okay. So, you know, something that's in the news right now is... Uh, oh, I know where you, you're going where, you, you heard the story. Yes? <laughs> but I don't know the details. So. Yes, that uh, Kim Kardashian. Yes. yes. So this is the interesting because we talk about it in marketing all the time, the power of influencers and having such a platform with such so many people with direct connection and being able to influence so many. They didn't realize that she had been paid $250,000 to post about this particular crypto investment. And now she's got to pay... <laughs> She's basically going to have to compensate those indiv- those investors who were fooled uh, into not realizing that this was actually a paid endorsement rather than something that should have been taken as you and know. And she also did something with the SEC or something. Tons of so, so yeah. it's, lots of problems. <laughs> yeah. But you know when you're on the top, this You'd is. You think she'd be smarter than? Yeah, that, you you would think right. Yeah. But drama seems to follow her. I just thought yeah. that was really interesting because I have uh, on Twitter only three. You probably have like tens of thousands of followers. I only have like three thousand, <laughs> and so I'm just like looking at her like two hundred million plus, and I'm like, wow, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, she's a big influencer, <laughs> but she should be doing it for the right reasons. Absolutely, <laughs> very, very, very true. Yeah, so. but still, just brings up her, builds up her brand over and over and over. Yeah, lots of stuff in the news. Yeah, right? a lot of things happening in the news, and we're really happy today to have as our guest on this news, Daphne Howland, who's one of our favorite guests for this hit and miss section. She's the senior reporter for Retail Dive. Daphne, thank you for joining us today. Hey there. It's always so good to to be with you guys. Very, very cool. So before we jump into this, Barbara, we have to set it up properly. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is your favorite part of the show. (laughs) Right. So this we love this segment because this is the first segment of all our episodes. It's called Hit or Miss. And it is where we identify certain things that are going on in the marketing, branding, retailing space. And we have a conversation as to whether or not those specific things, events, initiatives, et cetera, are either a good thing called a hit or either a bad thing called a miss. And this is one of our most favorite segments. Hit. Bullseye. Or miss. Just a bit outside. So we already started with what we, we both did. decided was a miss, a right? Miss. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Kim. You got a bit. It's one point two six million dollars of a miss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Definitely not a hit. Yeah. But um, Daphne, I have a hit and miss for you to get your reaction to it, and I'm really interested in America's reaction to this too because it's right up Americans America's alley on many ways. And I don't know. It's not a retail story, so I'm not sure you followed it, Daphne, because I know you mostly do retail. But it is a brand. I don't know if you heard about what Gatorade is doing. They are coming out and introducing gummies under the Gatorade brand. Mm. And they're trying to Ah. build up their whole brand identity serving Mm -hmm. athletes. So Mm -hmm. beginning in 1965, Gatorade at the University of Florida football Turn, they turn this product, and America, you went to Florida, right? Huge. So, this was absolutely yeah, huge. Yeah, tell us a little about its history. Well, it's know? amazing because it was sort of brought in. Hydration was figured out to be like, we really need to get people and the football team like ready to play. And so it was really part of this whole movement around 
electrolytes and getting the body prepared to do all this difficult stuff in, in the heat of the month. But I remember way back when Gatorade was awful. I mean, oh, really it, really, it, 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 was, it was literally like water with like a green crayon in it. Oh, <laughs> you know, it was terrible. Wow. So the early days when it used to come in the, in the glass bottles, all the way fast forward today where they're doing all kinds of amazing stuff. And you got to say, Gatorade is probably the brand that is most highly beverage brand connected to hydration sports. sports I mean, right? you think about what they do on the field where they pour Gatorade yep. all over the, the coach or something like that. It's yep. incredible branding. Huge. And, they've done, and they always had science behind them because yes. they came from the university. Yes. And so they had this introduction of a GX sweat patch yep. um, and all these kinds of things to get into it. And now what they're doing is they're expanding to these gummies. Gummies. Um, mm. And the idea is that the gummies have vitamins or vitamin D's, key nutri- nutrients in it. Not mm. just They're not just candy. Mm-hmm. They're stuff. Just like Gatorade's not just a liquid. Right. It's something to make you better off. And so the question is, is this a good move or a bad news? Let's start with America since you've got this incredible history <laughs> with the brand. And then Daphne, yeah. just take your take on it. Yeah, well, I, here's what I think, Barbara. I think it's, it's absolutely incredible. So I'm, I'm looking at my own health and wellness. So my first reaction was, okay, gummies, I'm not sure. But then I thought to myself, I actually take gummies. Oh, uh, do? I do. I take vitamin gummies because it's just ah. better than just swallowing pills. Mm. And so I take gummies twice a day. I take gummies in the morning for, as a multivitamin. I take gummies at night as melatonin. So like, if you were to say, here's a gummy, America, so you can take that has these other things in addition. Yeah, I would be on board with that. So, yeah. So And and, you're the target market, I'm pretty sure. Yes, yes. (laughs) And so your point was very, very interesting, which is the idea that it's so tied to this notion of health and wellness and, you know, yeah, beverage, hydration, etc., that it's, it's very powerful. And one of the things that they've done that has really built that credibility is that they have, I mean, they were the first company really to teach us. Not, I mean, none of us know really what electrolytes do. Let's no, just, I still okay, don't know. I don't know, actually. Yeah. You but, probably take them, but I don't know. I, I probably have, right? <laughs> but, but we know that somehow they taught us, like, electrolyte good. We have right. electrolyte. Gatorade right. electrolyte good. And right. so it's like, and that was it. Right. And so they're very, very powerful. Your point's 100%. Very, very powerful branding. I think it's a hit. Because I think it's definitely in that space of, you know, adults are doing the gummy thing for sure. There's lots of athletic aspects about it as well. You know, I didn't want to t- take pills for my vitamins. So it's a, the modality is kind of cool. And it's also fun and playful. So it's like with my daughter, I have like my gummies. I have her gummies. Oh. And we kind of take them together. <laughs> and Gatorade could be our gummies. Yeah, our gummies. Exactly. So that's my opinion. What do you think, Daphne? I'm saying it's a hit. What's your perspective? Uh, I agree. It almost feels inevitable, really. Um I think most vitamins have crossed over to the gummy world. The, for for little kids, you actually have to, you know, make sure that they think they can eat as many as they want because it's healthy. Oh, and yeah, you got to be for careful. For some of the vitamins, that's not so great. Yeah. But um, the one downside for Gatorade is, you know, you can't really, like, dump a bottle full of gummies onto a player. I always thought those really bright colors maybe yeah. were for television, but... Um, yeah, I, I think it's. I think they they kind of had to go there. That's that's what we do now. Yeah. You know, and another thing which uh, you're kind of both implying, but you didn't say, is when I teach about branding and extension, I talk about it not only be good be good for the extension, but also should be synergistic back to the original brand. And I think in that sense, this supports Gatorade liquid mm. because it's oh. making it and thinking about a different way. It's not just a liquid. It's part of this whole health universe in yep. some sense. Mm-hmm. So it's making the brand value on the drink better oh, also. Interesting. Which for me makes it a huge hit. Oh, that's really, really interesting. Yeah, I think that's very powerful. I mean, the brand is so, it, it's really interesting. I, I'm aware of at least one study 
uh, Barbara, where they gave participants uh, or they led participants to believe they were drinking either Gatorade or some control drink. And it was a really cool study because in the waiting room of the study, they had these wrist grabbers that people could kind of play with, <laughs> oh, and what to see to see kind of a measure of you know grip, strength, etc., power. And what they found in this study was that if you thought you had drunk Gatorade in the previous uh, part of the experiment, when you came to the waiting room, you were more likely to pick up the gripper, and you were to, like more likely to grip it more times. Oh wow, <laughs> so that's cool. That's the power of your the point. perception. The perception. Yeah. Like I'm drinking Gatorade. I'm like Serena. I'm drinking Gatorade. I'm like all these powerful athletes. Well, okay, okay. I'm revealing my stretch. Let him, why can't a man drink? Um, anyway, but yeah. but your point's well taken. I think it's a hit. Yeah, so unanimous hit for Gatorade, so let's all go out and get our guns. <laughs> now, Daphne, I had another one, and this one, you didn't write this story, but you write something like it, and I know you have written about a, lunch, a bunch about this, because in the retail business, we're talking about the holiday season, and the New York Times reported that Amazon is freezing corporate hiring in its retail business. Did you write about that also? I'm sure you're aware of it. I I did. I wrote about that today. Um, Amazon didn't deny it, uh, and this is uh, this is kind of a strange. Um, it seems strange at first blush that Amazon, the largest e- retailer, um, is cutting back on its retail operations. But it's kind of been happening for a while. Mm. They closed a bunch of stores. Their sales have been going down all year. Um, they're really making money from stuff besides selling things. Mm. So do you and think you know, that's a sign of Amazon's retail business or in general the mm. economy? Because I know right. the peril in all of that's been hit hard, right? right? Right. I mean, certainly, you know, all the – last year was so much better for retailers than, than we thought because the people had vaccines and there was a lot of money in people's pockets from all the – from all the, you know, federal help that people have been getting for the pandemic. Um, that's gone away. Inflation's up uh, and all those things. Um, but, no, I think it, this actually is mostly an Amazon story. Because, oh, interesting. Um, I think Amazon was a little bit um, taken, uh, you know, kind of, taken away by the the uh, amazing sales that they saw during the pandemic everyone had to order online if you remember those days yeah, right. oh i do oh yes <laughs> you know? yes yes um we all bought online now once people were able to kind of hmm. get out and about had vaccines could go shopping in stores could travel could go out to dinner at a restaurant that's what they did. Um, they didn't need Amazon as much. In the meantime, Amazon had all these plans for many more warehouses. They scaled way back on that. Um, and, I, and I think they're finding that they have better ways to make money than mm. selling stuff, huh, than being a retailer, really. Mm. Yeah, because like you said, they were closing stores. They closed down their bookstores and their four-star stores, both of which I didn't think they should mm. have been in that business anyway. Mm. Um, what was wrong with those with, with those? Well, the four-star stores, for me, were a crazy store. It was uh-huh. like they would merchandise with just things that were popular oh, on okay. Amazon that had gotten four stars in reviews and oh, things like I see, that. I see, I see, I see. So it was an eclectic mix of things. Oh, that's really interesting. And it was just, it was kind of a novelty store, but 
it didn't really have good oh, merchandising really and make sense. Because so it's, I, that's kind of counterintuitive, right? It's like, let's optimize on whatever is the most popular, yeah. and it's very unpopular. Yeah. Well, it <laughs> just, just wasn't stole. good merchandising. Interesting. You know, it yeah. wasn't like you could look huh. at a good store, like a Nike store or something like that. Those are people who know what they're doing. This was just, <laughs> well, what are people buying? We'll just shove it on the shelves. So I, th- I didn't think that was such a great idea. Uh-huh. And the fact that they shuttered their bookstores, I mean, that was kind of... They invented buying books online, you right. know. So why right, were you right. going to go buy them in an Amazon bookstore when it was much easier to buy in an Amazon online? And if you wanted to go to a real bookstore, you'd go to an independent bookstore or you'd go back to Barnes & Noble. So the, the fact that they closed those stores, I thought they weren't the best stores in the world. But mm. they are, like, still deep in, in grocery and things like that where, you mm. know, Amazon Fresh and in mm. Whole Foods, right, Daphne? They're not closing yeah. those. No, they're not closing those, and, and they they seem to be expanding them. Um, I, I think a lot of people in the real estate, uh, retail real estate community, are sort of a little bit in wait-and-see mode, though. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, I, I think we're going to see more and more Amazon's marketplace. I think they're going to increasingly sort of um, minimize their own operation of retail as much as they can and make money you know mm. either with their just walk out technology you know yeah. payment mm-hmm. stuff and mm-hmm. that you know there's still an immense very creative tech company and it's not like they're going to leave the retail business but i just don't think it's it's like they're their favorite thing. Well, that's really interesting. What do you see in terms of have you made started to make any predictions in terms of the holiday season yet or is it too early? I mean, it's not even that it's too early in a way because people have started early. They've got budgets to pay attention to, so they're they're um, kind of stretching things out is from what we see. Um, and you know, it's so it's going to be a long season. I think people are going to be very, very, very price conscious. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, but then again, kind of going back. To what everyone's been going through for the past couple of years, the holidays are something that people probably really want to celebrate, yeah. and yep. so there's going to be motivation to have a good holiday. Um, I think it's it's not even that it's too early; it's just that it's so there's so much uncertainty that it's tough to call. You know? Yeah, because we don't know if we're going in a recession or in the stock market goes up and down, and who knows how all that. So let's talk about something that's more concrete. What's going with Victoria's Secret. I know you wrote about them, and they are... My favorite topic, by the way. Can we, can we talk about it for the next <laughs> six hours? They're doing something about... <laughs> else new in branding. What? Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. What can you tell us? I know you just wrote a story about Victoria's they... Secret. When I saw yet another press release <laughs> about the, the branding pivot uh, at Victoria's Secret, you know, and, and when I, I... So I asked a couple of my sources, you know, what's what is it? Why? Why? There, it's just relentless. It feels relentless at this point. <laughs> yeah. And you know, she was saying um, they have to because they aren't finished yet. They're they're not. They haven't turned that page. Um, they they haven't really. If you, I don't know if you guys saw the Hulu documentary um, about Victoria's Secret no, and some that. of the marketing issues. Yeah. And no. the Les Wexler days and all back then? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you yeah. saw that? Oh, I didn't see it, but I, I okay. imagine that's what it would be about. Uh-huh. 
Uh, well, that was a two-hour-long reminder of... <laughs> Thanks, Hulu. <laughs> uh, we exactly. at Victoria's Secret would really love to uh, say our Turn appreciation. Thank yeah. you very much for yeah. showing that two-hour documentary. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, the, you know, when they were... They were really being pretty stubborn about their old marketing. Hmm. They stuck with it way before... You know, way after they probably should have. And... Um, and in the meantime, there are all these DTC companies taking market share. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know how many people, when if you say Victoria's Secret, they still think of mm. angels. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it, so they're trying lot. to be more exclusive, more a, a broader size portfolio mm. than they have in the past. And mm-hmm. like to your point, it's just not what people think of Victoria's Secret. So by broader size, what does that mean? Going from zero to 0.4? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying yeah. to figure this out. So because yeah. I know at one particular point, Daphne, wasn't it true that they created like some sort of consortium of very powerful, prominent women yeah. thought leaders and that this was going to be sort of like the committee that sort of helps to be the public face, at least, of kind of this pivot that you're describing. Didn't di- Isn't that something that they did? Definitely? I think they're still in that, right? Yeah, right. They're in that. It's called the VS Collective. Um, they have a podcast. Oh. Um, <laughs> you know, to be fair, they're, they're doing all these things. They are, um, they're, they're showing all kinds of different types of bodies in their marketing. They are, I think there's more diversity of all kinds. And, um, and they're investing in smaller brands, women-led businesses. They're doing the things that they need to do, but mm. they're kind of doing the things that they needed to do 10 years ago. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And also, it's not clear to me how that differentiates and builds on their brand. I mean, as much as I personally didn't really like their old brand positioning, and I do like this new positioning better mm-hmm. at least they were what they were when they were angels you uh, know you knew you yeah. were getting it and now like you said there's all these new brands coming in that are doing diversity and inclusivity better right. than victoria's secret right, right, so right. why would you go to victoria's secret it's kind of like mishmash on a brand identity you know like what is victoria's secret? interesting let me throw this out there barbara and daphne wholesale name change yeah what do you think about that yeah, like, but then they go- don't build on their equity <laughs> true, you know true, they true. have such great equity everybody knows victoria's secret uh-huh. i mean isn't um Tom Brady's wife, uh, ex-wife. Uh, well, well like, that's uh, allegedly they are uh, working through some issues. As, yeah, uh, <laughs> but I hear she's not wearing her wedding ring. So. Oh, oh no, Thomas, we apologize in advance, sir. It's going to require that seventh, uh, that eighth Super Bowl championship, eighth or seventh. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's the, the brand is powerful, right? But the question is, like, at what point do is the is the negative equity so bad that you know it, it just might be worth you know, scrapping the whole thing or maybe trying something completely different from an awareness recognition, logoing sort of a thing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, what are your thoughts, Daphne, on that? You've been following it more. In- uh, well, you know, I'm just a reporter and not a, not a marketing person. I, I've, I've always been intrigued by, you know, they, as you say, it's tough to change too much because they still make millions right. selling true. this stuff true, true. with their old, you know, connotations i do think there's something about um how to market sexy lingerie and redefine sexy i don't think we've heard Hmm. a lot about that we've heard from athletes and feminists and Mm. a a great diversity that's interesting yeah I, Mm i i think they might be throwing the message out with the bathwater. you know Mm. i um there there's there's a there's a 
kind of sexiness, um, which is not related to sexual identity or, or different things. It's literally, what does it mean to, to wear this type of apparel? And um, it can still be based on empowerment, in a, in, in, as opposed to the male gaze or whatever, right, right. Before <laughs> that's you can own your sexiness. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, this, and they, I think that would go. That would involve marketing. It would involve huh. merchandise design. Interesting. You know. Anyway, let um, me reintroduce you. I'm Barbara Kahn, along with Americus Reed. This is Marketing Matters. Today, we're joined by Daphne Howland, who's the senior reporter for Retail Dive. If you'd like to ask Daphne or any of us a question throughout today's show, p- please feel free to call at one eight four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. And Daphne covers tons of different articles, um, issues in retail. I want to bring a, uh, up another one that I know you recently covered, and I don't know uh, you covered it with. It, it, respect to Athleta. I don't know if you've covered it in other things because other retailers are doing it, but this is this notion of resale. Mm. So Athleta is leaning into this idea of, you know, selling clothes or used clothes or reselling clothes. And what what did you find when you were writing about the Athleta story and resale? And what have you seen just in general on mm. this issue, Daphne? Mm-hmm. I, I'm at the point now where I'm intrigued when a retailer isn't involved in retail. <laughs> <laughs> Table stakes, interesting. You know, yeah. it's, it's really become that way. There's a boutique in town here who is um, advertising locally. Uh, she's a local apparel designer um, and said she will buy things back and give you a credit because she's maintaining a little rack of, of her own stuff secondhand in her boutique. Mm-hmm. So it's everywhere. I, I don't... You know, I I think it really has become table stakes. Well, you know, it's kind of a win-win for everybody. It's a way, if you do, uh, first of all, it's sustainable. It's good for the environment not to just throw all this stuff in the dump, you know, and worry about that. Let's reuse things if it's good enough to reuse. Mm -hmm. It gives a cheaper price to the end user. And the retailer's got to be making money on um, on this resale thing, too. So... You know, I, I, I guess it makes sense, and yeah. it kind of begs the question, if it's table stakes and everybody is into it now, why didn't they do it sooner? What, <laughs> what was the resistance to right. resale in the past? Do you have any sense of that? Did anybody talk about that? I, I think part of it is Gen Z, you know, younger people are very open to buying clothes this way. Mm. They have zero qualms about it, and in fact, they will even give second-hand items as gifts. Interesting. Mm. I, you know, I think yeah. they're... Some of us in different generations wouldn't ever have considered that. Yes. Um, yes, yes. Um, one thing that interests me is, will this have any effect on the supply chain in the sense that do you need a better quality item yeah. in order for it to be able to be resold? Because if you know. That's definitely true. Shein, you know, and all the stuff Shein's selling is not going to be able to be reworn. That stuff's you know, made to throw away. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that, which I think probably is a good thing if, if garments are made to last longer. But, you know, so that's, so that's the issue. I mean, if they can make enough margin on resale, then they can make money. But I guess the retail model has always been new, new, new mm. to get people to buy more. So mm. I, I haven't looked at the economics of mm-hmm. the resale market versus the new market. I don't know if you have either, Daphne, but that might be part of it. What's a more profitable business? Or is there a way to make that business profitable? Mm. 
Yeah, I'm not sure that the logistics have been really figured out. ThreadUp is a is a secondhand apparel resale site you might be aware of. Yeah. Um, what they're also doing is they've set up technology and logistics to enable other retailers to to get into the business. So they will set up a, a website tab. I think they've worked with Urban Outfitters a whole tons. They keep adding to their roster of um, well-known retail chains who are enlisting ThreadUp to help them with the logistics and the platform. Mm -hmm. And Wells Fargo said they thought that this resale as a service you know, operation oh. is probably going to be more lucrative than ThreadUp's actual apparel resale. Mm. So um, I think it's still being figured out. I think know, what's how. also I think what's also interesting is I, I have no data on this, Barbara. But, <laughs> well, whatever. But, <laughs> but the idea of just the psychological underpinnings of a younger consumer, because I I just when she when Daphne was describing it, I was going back to my adolescent days where I had to go to school in Garanimals and everybody was wearing Garanimals it was an old brand where you match the shirt with the pants oh. and it was just it was awful uh, but and, but every all the cool kids had Izod Lacoste and Ralph Lauren mm-hmm. and like we were like we were sort of like marginalized because <laughs> we had this cheap stuff mm. and it was like you know but now like cheap is cool I, I mean I don't know it's, that's a hypothesis like but like this resale that's cool. what she said yeah, yeah it's resale like, you can up the quality up the brand if you're you know you're you're not buying it new maybe you don't have the money to buy it new but you can buy it second or third hand yeah. you can have the cooler co- brand yeah you know? yeah so I think I think that's there's some psychology that's also Really, really interesting behind that, and even in terms of uh, laying laying over the economics that you were mentioning, Barbara. And just one more pretty timely thing that you wrote about Daphne. You talked about REI opening stores late on Election Day so employees can vote. Um, is, are they the, in the vanguard on that, or is that a general trend? You know, the, um, the opening late is the, is that's very specific. Um, one thing that I thought is, and I didn't ask them, is what about at the end of the day? Are they also going yeah, to Yeah, that's true. Um, mm. um, close early. But um, the the whole concept of giving workers time off, which in retail is tough, you know, it's retail's always open when the other places are closed. Mm. Um, that concept has caught on in the past few elections, so it's not new. Um, REI's been really good about really kind of nailing this down as a more specific, consistent policy. Mm. Um, and it kind of goes with their Black Friday policy, too. Right. They just recently made that permanent. That's forever um, no operating on Black Friday. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing because it's not necessarily customer first. It's employee first. Right. But right. an employee first move does appeal to customers. Yes. I think yes. people think that that's a more... I think it's a branding move in I a way, even though move. it's an HR move. Absolutely. And we talk about purpose all the time and mission and values, et cetera, live your values. And so creating the brand from within and then having the market realize that you're signaling through this sort of these sorts of initiatives, absolutely, it's part of the brand building process. Yeah. yeah. So election day is important. Let's go out and vote. You yep. know, Black Friday, everybody should get some kind of break. You know, yep. that's just kind of a, mm-hmm. an interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Well, Daphne, thank you so much for joining us today. And where can our listeners go to keep up with you and all the stories you're writing about retail? 
Thanks so much for having me. Everyone should sign up for our newsletter, RetailDive.com. Mm. Um, it's advertising supportive, so you don't have to pay for anything. Just read us. It's great. That's I awesome. love it. Very, very cool. <laughs> Stay on top of the news with that. Daphne, thank you again for being here. Um, we're going to take a short break. This is Marketing Matters, Business Radio, Sirius XM, 